Welcome to Wolfpack Career Chats from NC State University's Career Development Center, the only podcast dedicated to providing NC State students with current, relevant, and thought-provoking ideas that will challenge you to think about your future. Whether you want to know more about what hiring managers are really thinking, or you just need to hear an honest and encouraging story about overcoming obstacles to reach your goals, we've got you covered. Wolfpack Career Chats is just one of the many services we provide. Whether it's career fairs, on-campus interviews, co-op opportunities, or more, we are here for the pack. Hello, it's Marcy Bullock. Welcome back to Wolfpack Career Chats. We are relaxing on a Friday afternoon with some howling cow ice cream on a beautiful spring day. And today I have a student guest interviewer, Megan Angevine. I met Megan at New Student Orientation at Tally Student Center as she was walking through the fair, looking very wide-eyed as a rising freshman. And she then applied to the Career Ambassador Program, where I got to work with her for the last three years. She's done a super exciting study abroad, and she has accepted a full-time job offer. As a consultant, you have a big girl job now, and I feel like I have just blinked, and she is a senior. So I'm going to turn it over to Megan for today's interview, which will be from a student perspective. Megan, how did the time go, go by so fast? Thanks, Marcy. Yeah, I think the time has really flown by. I feel really blessed and grateful to have spent all this time these past three years as a career ambassador. And I'm excited today to get to talk to Mike Giancola. Um, Mike is a student ombuds here at NC State. Mike, if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, get the ball rolling. Sure. Well, it's uh, great to be here today. And uh, Megan, I enjoyed our conversation, so I look forward to our, our chat today. Um, so um, when asked the question, tell me about yourself, that's a big question. Um, so many different things to say. I like to start off by saying, though, that I was born and raised um, in a, in a blue-collar family in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania because I think that says a lot about um, where I came from and then also really wh who I am today. Um, and so um, went off to college in, at John Carroll University, liberal arts school in Cleveland, Ohio, and then did my graduate work at Kent State in, o in Ohio as well. And have been fortunate to be at NC State for the last 21 years in a variety of capacities, uh, most recently as the Associate Vice Provost for Student Leadership and Engagement, and now work as the student ombuds here on campus. Mm -hmm. Um, something that we've done a lot in our career ambassador program is talk about our Clifton strengths. Mike, do you happen to know your strengths? Uh, I do. Um, I have to admit, though, I just had to remind myself of them. I just looked them up. Uh, <laughs> but my strengths are uh, ranger, connectedness, uh, belief, strategic, and maximizer. And hopefully everybody that's listening knows what those are. If not, I encourage you to, to take your strengths and learn a little bit more about that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so to just dive right into today's topic, which I think your strengths seem to really correlate with well, today we're going to be talking about communication. Uh, so Mike, how do you think our identities impact how we communicate with others? It's a good question. I think our identities are, are critically important when we think about communication. Um, not only influences how we communicate, but also how other people hear what we're trying to communicate. And so whether that be our gender, our race, or I mentioned before being from a from a first-generation um, college family, a hard-working blue-collar family, that influences how I see and, and experience the world. And so when I think about how I communicate and how others communicate with me, I think that identity is really important. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think strong communicators um, not only know themselves well, 
but take the time to understand those that they're communicating with. Yeah, I think that's so important as well. And I think it can be kind of tricky. Um, how would you practice open communication, vulnerable communication, if you have any tips of how to be able to stay vulnerable while still communicating your message? Yeah, I think being vulnerable in communication is, is a challenge, especially in today's social media um, mm -hmm. kind of generation, because everything you put out there is out there for, well, for a long time, forever, really. And so there is that balance of being vulnerable and being authentic and also being sure to communicate the messages that you want to communicate to people. Uh, for me, it, it's something that I had to really work at being vulnerable because I think I was raised in such a way to, to make sure I said what I meant and mean what I say. And so I had to be very careful in what I was saying. And over time, I think as I became more engaged in leadership um, roles and responsibilities, it became clear to me that so much about leadership is about being authentic and people really have to trust you. Um, and so there is that level of being vulnerable. If you feel like you're too polished, then it's harder for people to see themselves in you and relate to you. And so I think there is a, a tricky balance between, between in, in leadership and in communication, really mm -hmm. um, being vulnerable and, and being open and where that situation might carry you, but also being clear to understand what you're trying to communicate and, and what the importance of that message is. I think that's so true as well. I, I love the idea of combining both being a strong leader with having this open communication. I know last time that we spoke, we talked a little bit about your recent trip to China, um, and I was wondering how you overcome cross-cultural barriers when communicating as well. Yeah, I think especially in today's um, very global um, context, as, as good communicators, I think it is one that understands different cultural dynamics. Um, there's a book that I read years ago called Kiss, Bow, and Shake, and it talks about some of the different cultural um, practices and just kind of frameworks in which we look at the world, and not to stereotype, but just at least have a, a broad understanding of how different culture impacts things like time or things like personal space or contact are, are really critical. Um, you know, you mentioned my trip to China. I think being curious goes a long way. In other words, it's important that we study, it's important that we learn about different cultures, but if we maintain a level of curiosity, that'll make up for any mistakes we might make in communication. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm fortunate to communicate with people all over the world and some of the leadership consulting that I do, and um, that curiosity really serves me well, because if I, if I have a mindset of wanting to learn, then others oftentimes will be willing to help, you know, help teach you where you might have gaps in your cultural competency. Mm -hmm. But it's where we enter those spaces where we feel like we know everything or that folks have to assimilate to our way of thinking, then that's when maybe others are less likely to, um, to want to accommodate to those gaps in that cultural competency. So, um, it, you know, I, I think that's just important, just to be curious, to, to really um, learn as much as you can, um, and then also try to find the commonalities in values. Because in my travels all around the world and communicating with people from different cultures, I find that while there are real unique differences, we have so many things in common as human beings. And where you can tap in from that and start from that place, um, you know, most people that I've met around the world have a, a desire to, to do well and to learn and to grow and to have their families be healthy. And where you can connect on those common values, then you can establish some common ground to bridge the gap where there might be a difference in a communication style. Definitely, I can see your strength signings through already. Um, how would you say that your background studying psychology affects you as a communicator? You know, it's fascinating. When I first decided to study psychology, I was told that, that I was probably going to go on to be a clinical psychologist and listen to people's problems all day. 
And that said as much about what I didn't know about psychology as the other person who was communicating that message to me. Because communication, or excuse me, psychology has been an incredible foundation for my entire life in terms of my work life and my leadership life in the community. Learning uh, about myself and learning about others and learning how to impact uh, others and be able to communicate are critical skills that when you study psychology, you spend a lot of time thinking about communication and management and, and understanding individual differences and how that works together with the community. So again, that, that's helped me, I think, be a better communicator. Mm -hmm. um, I think psychology is a great major, by the way, for any of the students listening. Um, if nothing else, maybe a good minor. It's, uh, I've never worked in a true psychology field, and yet I can thankfully say I've never been unemployed in my life because of the skills that I learned um, through my psychology degree. Mm -hmm. And how do you think those skills have helped you become a better communicator and perhaps a better public speaker, since I know you have a lot of experience with that? Well, so much of um, being a good public speaker is practice. Um, hopefully it's coming through today that I've had lots of practice. If you don't think so, then um, I understand. But I, I've really practiced a lot. Um, I used to get extremely nervous when I would speak in front of groups. Um, and really giving even just a 30-second a announcement in, in front of a group was something that brought uh, terror might be too strong of a word, um, but a little bit of fear, the palpitations in the heart, the sweating, and those kinds of things. And um, over time, I began to realize that, that people don't really care uh, there's that, that saying that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so what I found that so much about communication and public speaking is connecting with people. And once you've made that connection, then you can have a discussion about anything. And so I've learned through my practice to really try to connect with the audience that I'm speaking with, uh, make that connection, and then build from there. And when I'm speaking about things that I value or that I think are important, it's easier for me to do. Uh, and so a lot of um, my focus has really been about you know, what it is that you value and how do those values then lead um, you in a direction, um, whether it be through communication or leadership. Definitely, yeah. I think we can all relate to getting that fear before public speaking. We all have things that we're nervous about. Um, how did you improve your public speaking beyond practice? Do you have any tips for our audience or maybe things that you tell yourself before beginning public speaking to help calm your nerves? Yeah, I, again, I think it's, it's connecting back to those values. And so when I think about giving a leadership workshop or, or maybe I'm teaching youth sports, I do a lot of that, um, why, why is that important? Why am I doing this? And when I really reflect on that, it takes the emphasis off of me as the speaker or communicator and really puts it on the important work that mm -hmm. we're doing. Um, I, I know you said in addition to practice, but I really just can't overemphasize practice. Yeah, definitely. If you're given a chance to, to introduce a speaker or someone asks you to actually be a speaker, um, the answer should always be yes. Um, don't ever discount and say, well, I don't have the skills or I don't have anything that people would want to hear or I don't have enough practice. The only way you get that is through practice. So I, I really encourage um, listeners to take every opportunity you have to get out in front of a group. Um, the other thing is, you know, the assumption is that only people that are extroverted or very charismatic can speak. And I, I want to kind of destigmatize a little bit about that and, and that really all of us have opportunities and have to be able to communicate our messages. It might come more natural for some than for others, but it's important that all of us are able to communicate our ideas effectively. Um, and so again, it comes through that practice. Um, those are probably the, the, the two biggest things. I think the other thing though too is we put such an emphasis on what we say and I think the important part of communication is how we say it 
So I think really trying to connect with the heart. Um, there, there's a quote that says, "If you can, if you can, if you're, if you can speak well with your tongue, um, that which uh, the message of your heart." And I think that's an important thing that I try to really focus my communication on is how to connect to the things that people really value and care about. Um, so I think that's important, but also monitoring others' nonverbals. Mm-hmm. Um, you can learn a lot about what someone doesn't say by looking at their nonverbals, and that's something I learned through my psychology. Um, it's interesting when, <laughs> when I would work with students, and they maybe weren't telling me the truth, and I knew it pretty quickly, and they would say, how did you know it? Well, again, I can study what you're not saying. Your, your nonverbals tell me a whole lot. And uh, I don't want students to think that I'm sitting there trying to decide if you're lying or not. But, but <laughs> in a conduct situation, I almost always could figure it out uh, because the nonverbals are so important. But as a speaker, it's important that you're aware of that so that you mm-hmm. can I- give you another example. As I mentioned, I coach youth sports. And I'll say things to the, you know, right now I'm coaching uh, you know, t- 10, 11, and 12-year-old boys in soccer. And I'll say something to them, but I can tell very clearly either they're not listening or they're not understanding. And it's usually because of the nonverbals. The look on their face tells me that they don't get it or they're panicked because, like, oh, he's going to ask me to do this in a second, and I don't know what he's saying, <laughs> right? So as a, as a teacher, in this case a coach, I'm watching those nonverbals. Even when the student doesn't want to tell me or the athlete doesn't want to tell me he doesn't understand, I can tell very clearly he doesn't. So then I can adjust my message, how I teach it or how I share that, in a way that hopefully will help him to understand the concept mm-hmm. and also make the environment one where it's comfortable to, to say, hey, I don't understand because that allows me then to be a more effective communicator the next time. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, it's important to notice not only others' nonverbals, but your own as well, for sure, in communicating, which relates back to what we talked about earlier with projecting your own identity versus others' identities, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, speaking of your coaching experience, when you find yourself in a leadership role, what advice would you have for students that maybe find themselves in leadership roles and are trying to decide different approaches to take with different students? Yeah, I think so much of communication is really individual, um, which is to say that you need to understand the audience that you're speaking to. Um, sometimes people might think, well, that's being inauthentic. Um, we, we oftentimes hear the phrase, well, they're just being a politician. They're just saying what the audience wants to hear. And and I want to suggest maybe a different way of looking at that, is that if you understand the audience and understand what their concerns are, then being able to communicate and spend time on those particular topics is an important aspect of communication. Mm -hmm. So uh, I do think that individualizing communication, understanding, again, using the the sports analogy, I know on, on my team there are certain ways I need to communicate with each player to help them best understand the concept and maximize um, their performance. And so, and I think good leaders, good communicators take the time to understand that. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it used to be that we would just, as, just assume that everyone would assimilate to the message and you would have to figure out what I'm saying and you have to understand it in the way that I'm communicating it. And now I think we're becoming more evolved in our communication to really understand that it's, it's just as much about what I say as what you hear. And if we're not on the same page with what I say and what you hear and what you communicate back to me, then we're really not effectively communicating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just use the sports an- analogy as a good one because at the end of the day, I want the kids to learn. And, and I can only do that if I truly understand if they're getting the concepts and being able to apply that. So, for example, there are some, some kids on my team that if, if they make a mistake, they're perfectionist and they start to go down this kind of 
downward spiral. Mm -hmm. And in that case, I need to make sure that I can get that kid to lift him up real quickly and say, hey, you made a mistake. That's an opportunity to learn, right? There's another you know, kid on my team who he needs critical feedback and he needs me to, to get into his ear and say, hey, we've, we've gone through this now. You understand what you need to do. Now you need to do it. But I can't communicate that way with each player on my team if mm -hmm. I want to get the best results. So I have to know, um, you know how each person um, is going to be in a communication setting and what's the most effective way to try to communicate a message. Definitely, yeah. Actually, one of my top strengths is um, individualization. So I think it's so important when communicating to really be treating everyone like separate people. Everyone has their own different backgrounds, different identities, and really overcoming that to focus on a message. Yeah, and the, the challenge within that, though, is if you're speaking, you know, I just gave a lecture recently. There were 300 people in the audience. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you possibly know what everybody's individual message? So you have to try to diversify your communication strategies so that hopefully you're connecting with different styles within a large group like that. But it is challenging. It's mm -hmm. not something that's easy to do. Do you have any advice for students on how to connect in a big audience? Uh, <laughs> no, you know, do your research. So know who you're speaking to. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's an important, really, anytime you're communicating, but, but certainly when you're speaking to a large group. Um, I mentioned the trip to China recently, and mm -hmm. even though I did my research, I was given my, re my speaking topics like two days beforehand. Oh, wow. Um, you can imagine what I did on my 15-hour flight, right? <laughs> um, so and that, that was for over 300 people, right? Yeah, and that's right. And so in that case, I had to, to make a few assumptions about, okay, what do these people do for a living? What are some cultural considerations I need to think about? Um, how can I also send some messages that might be new and challenging to them? So I tried to balance that um, in what I spoke with and tried to provide a variety of different contexts. So I did some traditional lecture. I did some activity, had them stand up, do some things, and, and, and hopefully you hit everybody in the audience, um, at least at some point. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's another saying that says um, uh, when you're doing public speaking, you kind of say, like, well, my job is to speak. Your job is to listen. I hope we finish it about the same time, <laughs> right? And I think public speakers, when you can use humor and you can kind of humble yourself in front of the audience, I think that's also a very important strategy. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips for students that are trying to become better communicators? Get to know yourself. Um, I, I do think that um, when you know yourself, you're more comfortable. Um, as I said earlier on in my life, I wasn't comfortable speaking in front of groups because I really didn't know myself as well. Um, but as I, as I got to know myself, then I could become more comfortable in my own skin. And so communication, I think, was a little easier for me. Um, and so I think that's, uh, that's a big part of it as well. But also, again, getting to know your audience and who you're speaking with. Okay, yeah, thank you. At this point, we're going to open up to any audience questions that we might have. Yeah, hello, Mike. Uh, my name's Jillian. I'm a sophomore here at NC State, and I love the quote that you said that um, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. I've never heard that before. I love that. I'm going to use it the rest of my life. So what are some <laughs> tips you have for building a connection with strangers, like letting people know that you care? Well, when you use that quote, please don't quote it as me because okay. it's not my it's original not <laughs> quote. I think it may be my Angelou, but I'm not positive. Uh, but please attribute it to somebody else. But it is a great concept that I try to apply. Um, I think your question was, how do you connect with people? Right, yeah. You know, a lot of it, again, is relates to different cultural contexts, right? So for me, it's through eye contact, mm -hmm. um, is letting someone know that you're the most important person in this discussion right now as we're talking. And I think that's an important way that I try to communicate. Um, in some cultural contexts, though, looking in the eye, especially for someone who may be older or have a more 
perceived senior position can be a sign of disrespect. So you do have to understand the cultural context. But for me, it's trying to give attention to that person. I know we've all been in situations where we might be talking with someone and they're doing this, they're looking over their shoulder to see who else is in the room. I find that highly offensive. I understand why people do it. They're trying to network and they're trying to see who do I need to connect with. But for me, I guess it was the way I was raised. The most important person you're talking to is the one you're talking to right now. And if you can demonstrate that authentically in your interactions with people, I think it goes a long way. Um, you know, they say of the, of the best leaders, they have the impact of really having you feel like you're the most important person. And when you can do that authentically, then I think that really does help you to connect to people. Um, the other piece is just being humble. If you, if you ever feel like uh, you've arrived, then you need to kind of step back a little bit because, um, you know, we can always humble ourselves. There's always something we don't know. There's always someone that we meet that will, will give us a new idea or challenge us to think differently. And I think if you remain humble in all aspects of life, it really does help you to, to connect with people. Again, it's, it's just more relatable. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. Thanks. Thanks, Jillian. Does anyone else in our audience have a question? Lexi? So I'm just curious, what um, things that do you think students kind of struggle with within communication? and What are some ways we could address those problems? Mm -hmm. yeah, a great I, question. I think a lot of it starts with confidence, right? I know for myself, that was where I struggled. I just didn't have the confidence to speak. If I was at a, a public speaker and I knew I should take the opportunity to ask a question, but I wasn't confident that I could get up there and articulate my question. I had it in my mind, but I wasn't confident that it could come out my mouth in the same way. Um, and so a lot of it, and, and it's true about most things in life, um, we, we really kind of put a lot of the emphasis on all the wrong things. Um, we're worried about how we look or how we may sound or, or what we're dressed like. And those things really in the final analysis don't really matter a whole lot, if anything. Um, so I, I do think having that confidence, trusting that each one of us has goodness inside, right? We oftentimes say, well, I had this experience and it made me a better person. Well. It probably did, but the, the goodness was already inside of you, right? It's only a matter of cultivating that and allowing it to come out. And so I think that's how that confidence is developed, is trusting that every good thing about you is already inside of you. The experiences that we have and, and the opportunities we have help that to, to come out and to really flourish. Um, and so where we can be more confident, I think we can be then better communicators um, and not be so critical. Um, the other thing I would say, and it kind of flows from that, is sometimes we tend to be overly critical about ourselves. You've heard that I'm my, my own worst critic. Um, that's helpful up to a point, but after that point it becomes destructive in terms of really overanalyzing something and really getting in the way of being able to communicate effectively. So I think we do have to be reflective and, and to take opportunities to learn about maybe how we're communicating or how we're, we're showing up in a space but not being so critical that it gets in the way of our ability to have confidence and speak clearly and articulate a message. So Mike, I've really enjoyed listening to Megan ask you these questions and your responses because we've known each other a long time and I've looked up to you as a mentor. And as Megan is transitioning into the work world here, like in the next month or so, and a lot of the other students um, soon to be, what would you like her and everyone else to know about that transition? What, because you've supervised a lot of people and yeah. you've really been a mentor to me as I've encountered professional development challenges. Um, how do you develop mentors and what other little tips would you share about the transition from student to professional? 
Yeah, it's a great question. A lot of different pieces in that question. So hopefully I'll get them all. But I think that transition from from college to that first professional job is an important one. But a lot of the skills that you've developed as a student will help you in life, right? Which is to say that continuously studying. Like I'm sorry to to suggest to you that if you're a senior getting ready to graduate, you think, I'll never have to study again. Well, you will. It'll just be different ways, right? You may not take a test at the end, but you do have to continuously learn. Being a lifelong learner, I think, is something that really helps. Um, being curious, you've heard me say that earlier, and I do want to reemphasize that, the importance of curiosity. Um, when we're kids, we have such a, such a really profound and kind of attractive uh, quality of being curious. And then as we get older, we tend to lose that. We get in, you know, inhibitions that, or things that maybe it's not as cool to ask questions. Well, apparently I didn't, didn't learn that because I still ask lots of questions and I try to be very curious. I'm one that learns through application and through, through experience. And so the only way I learn a lot of times is by asking lots of questions. So I think being able to balance that, you know, not coming across as though you know everything because you've just finished a degree, but also not minimizing what you've learned in your degree. So everything in life is balance, right? Where you can balance those things, I think that'll be helpful as you enter into the new, into the workforce. Um, you know, being comfortable with what you don't know. You don't have to know everything. One of the mistakes I made early in life, I don't make it as often as I used to, I still make it sometimes, is being so afraid of being appearing as like I don't know something. And that's actually the biggest detriment to learning something. Because if you feel like you know everything, or you try to act like you know everything, then guess what? You likely won't learn anything. And so growing up, I always felt like to, to be perceived as, as being a good person, I had to be smart. And so if someone would start ask, you're talking about something, I would say, oh, yeah, 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 I know about that. But I didn't. And so I've tried to help my kids learn this lesson. It's like there's no shame in saying you don't know something. Being curious and asking the question makes you look far more intelligent than acting as though you know something and then you get into it two or three minutes and the person asks you a question and you don't really know what you're talking about and now you've been exposed, right? So being okay with admitting what you don't know but being willing to learn, I think, is a critical skill. And again, that's true of right out of college, mid-professional, and right before you retire and post-retirement as well. I think it's a lifelong learning skill. Oh, and then the little piece of that that I tagged in the middle, I know it was a multiple part question is... I noticed um, that. <laughs> I know. I was like, everything I want to know. Mentors. So yeah. like I said, I've looked up to you as a mentor at one point when I had a big transition in my career. I remember coming to you and asking you mm -hmm. for advice. And I wonder as a new professional, how would you recommend people develop those relationships so that they have someone other than their boss that they aspire to be like, that's doing what they want to do, mm -hmm. that they can imitate and also get some guidance from you hit on a couple things in, in the question and one is the importance of relationships and so that um, relationships are critical to whatever we do in life um, you know, I don't like to play this out too much but you know that they always say well it's not what you know it's who you know and I think that gets a little overstated but I do think that there's an importance of a network and those relationships are critical and so mentors are people that do help you to navigate and to guide um, you know, your experience. And so I think it's critical. I, I always think it's funny. I'll have students come to me and say, will you be my mentor? As if like there's this box you check. Um, and I'm, you know, oftentimes I'll answer that question, yes. But I think a lot of that mentor relationship is organic, right? You find someone that you trust, 
you find someone that's willing to take an interest in you, maybe has some common interest, or maybe they have a different perspective, and the way they mentor you is by helping you to think about things differently than you previously do. So I do think it's about relationship. It's not as simple as just saying, hey, you know, you're going to be assigned to this person to be a mentor. I think it has to be a little bit more organic in that way. Um, but you also talked about trying to find a mentor who's not your supervisor or your boss. And I think that's critical as well. The good news is you can have multiple mentors. In fact, successful people do have multiple mentors. Um, and so there are some things you might just not be able to talk to your supervisor about. There are other things you would absolutely want to talk to your supervisor about, but sometimes you need that, that counterbalance. I think in the time that we were talking, it was really about a situation that was really better not to talk with someone within your immediate work group, but with an outside person that just has a different perspective or that can just listen. I think that's a critical piece that um, I intended to emphasize much more in the previous questions is the importance of listening. So maybe I'll just sidetrack quickly to say that communication is more about listening than it is about actually speaking. Um, and that's something that I've had to learn over time. Um, you know, the old adage, you have two ears, one mouth, so you should speak twice as much as you talk. And that's a challenge for me because uh, I'm Italian and we like to talk and we talk with our hands and, and I get very passionate about things. But I've learned the importance of listening and that active listening is so critical. And so even in that mentor relationship, getting someone that can listen to you, that can just allow you to share your experience and listen and then because they've been such good listeners, then they have a better sense for maybe what, what opportunities they might suggest or what other um, kind of perspectives they think might be helpful to you. So that, that role of listening is so critical um, in communication. Well, you have given us a lot to think about today. And we are at the end of our time. Um, Megan, wonderful job. Did you enjoy your first podcast? Yeah, I definitely did. Thank you so much. So let's give it up for Megan and Mike. The NC State Career Development Center prepares and empowers students to identify and pursue their career goals. Stop by Pullen Hall to learn more. Thank you for listening to Wolfpack Career Chats, and we hope to see you around campus. Have a packtacular day.